Happy Mother's Day, Purpose Church. I want to start our time with 10 of my favorite quotes on mothers. Uh, Number one, Cheryl Lacey Donovan. Mother is a verb. It's something you do, not just who you are. Uh, Maya Angelou, a mother's love liberates. Agatha Christie, a mother's love for a child is like nothing else in this world. It knows no law, no pity. It dates all things and crushes down remorselessly all that stands in its path. I love that one. Uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal, motherhood brings you to your knees in a way that doesn't leave room for you to judge others. It makes you see that there's no ideal a constant struggle, constantly compromising, but ultimate love. Maria Shriver, the former first lady of uh, California, having kids, the responsibility of rearing good, kind, ethical, responsible human beings is the biggest job anyone could embark on. Uh, Lance Conrad is the next one. I can imagine no heroism greater than motherhood. And then Gilda Radner, Motherhood is the biggest gamble in the world. It is the glorious life force. It's huge and scary. It's an act of infinite optimism. And this, uh, the author of this is unknown, but I love this. Nothing is really lost until your mom can't find it. <laughs> and, uh, and then number nine on the list, the na- Jessica Lang. The natural state of motherhood is unselfishness. And then number 10, Jill Churchill, there's no way to be a perfect mother and a million ways to be a good one. No way to be a perfect one, but there's a million ways to be a good one. Today, we're continuing our spring series, Before You Leave, pausing long enough to consider if, when, and how you should move on. So many people have left things over the past two years that we're doing a series on it. And this series is going to last through Memorial Day weekend. And then on June 5th, Chris Brown is going to be with us. You're going to want to be here and uh, bring friends with you as well. Be sure uh, to watch that weekend. Chris Brown uh, will be uh, with us on June 5th. And then uh, we will start our summer series on the book of Revelation on June 12th. So this series through Memorial Day weekend, Chris Brown on June 5th, and then uh, the book of Revelation for the summer starting on June 12th. We're looking today in this series at six important areas of life and asking the question, what should I pause and consider before I leave or make a change in that thing? Uh, We've looked so far at before you leave your state, uh, before you leave your job. Last Sunday we talked about before you leave your faith, and now today, before you leave your family. Uh, Desmond Tutu said, you don't choose your family. They are God's gift to you as you are to them. But COVID and politics have been hard on family relationships. How many of you wherever you are there in your living room, by your computer, driving your car, listening to this later on. How many of you would agree, raise your hand, to agree with that statement, that COVID and politics have been hard on family relationships? Uh, Ray Johnston's a pastor from Sacramento, and a bunch of us pastors and uh, staff from our church went to a conference where he was speaking, and he was talking about 
He had gone to Ireland and he was talking to a pastor from Ireland uh, about a year ago. And he was amazed at how normal things already were in Ireland, in the churches and in, and in the country. It was just very, very normal. And this was like a year ago. And he was amazed by that. But the Irish pastor uh, said this to Ray. He said, in Ireland, we had one pandemic. In America, you had multiple pandemics. You had a COVID pandemic, a political pandemic, a racial pandemic, a church disunity uh, pandemic uh, revolving around masks and no masks or masks or vaccines or no vaccines and an inflation pandemic. So they had just gone through one pandemic and they were pretty much back to normal a year ago. But we've been, it seems, uh, in, in our country and in our churches going through pandemic after pandemic. And this has done damage to family relationships as well. Uh, Time Magazine writes, since 2016, family interactions have been more likely to drive highly partisan relatives apart than to bring them together. That is, when we get together as families, it doesn't tend to bring us together, it tends to drive us apart. Experts say family political disagreements can chafe more than disagreements among friends and colleagues because of how deeply humans identify with their family members. So maybe these things we're going to talk about uh, in, in, in COVID and, and the pandemics and, and political and other things, maybe these things didn't cause the divisions in our family but they made divisions that were already there worse. That is, there were cracks to begin with, and just what we've been through the last couple of years has just uh, accentuated those things, uh, made them more difficult. So here's what I want you to do in order to make this message as practical as possible. I want you to answer this question uh, to yourself. The family member who I am not as close to as I was two years ago is... Who's the family member in your immediate family or your extended family that you're not as close to now as you were two years ago? And think of that person, and, and I want to apply this message to that person. So think of that person, or maybe it's persons, multiple people within your family. And we're going to take a tour through the book of Genesis and look at five reasons for division in families. Uh, the first is this. Jealousy of a brother. We start towards the beginning of Genesis and we'll end, uh, number five, we'll be towards the end of Genesis. But first of all, jealousy of a brother. Right off the bat, Genesis chapter four, verse six. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do, not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? One of those famous phrases in all the Bible. And these stories, I'm just taking highlights from these stories, but I'd encourage you, if you've never read them before, uh, read the book of Genesis. It is, it is quite a read. And you will see family difficulties right off the bat at the beginning of time uh, through the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. 
But he says, am I my brother's keeper? Miles McPherson writes, being a brother's keeper is humbly recognizing that we all have blind spots that require another's perspective to identify in our own lives. We need each other. Sometimes friends, uh, church family, um, uh, relationships, uh, at work, we, we need each other to point out our blind spots. We have a saying here, Purpose Church, your blind spots will rule you. And, and I need you to help me with my blind spots. And maybe I can help you with yours as well. And if we disconnect with a family member, we will miss out on that. Uh, sometimes family members are the best at spotting blind spots. Others can do it, friends, people in your life group, uh, uh, here at church, uh, people you work with. Others can, can certainly do it. Certainly your spouse can do it, uh, but, but that's a family member yet again. Our family members, our spouse, our brothers and sisters, others within our, our family, even our extended family, they are particularly good at spotting certain types of blind spots. Uh, let me give you an example from my own life. Uh, here's a picture from years ago of uh, there's me in the middle, believe it or not, and my sister Carol D is right here on the right, and my sister Suzanne is on the left. And uh, here we are on the family farm. It was a little miniature, smaller farm uh, that we grew up on in, in Virginia. And uh, my sister, Carol D., is just a wonderful person, loves Jesus, serves Jesus. She and her whole family, I mean, just really an incredible, incredible, as was my sister, Suzanne, who's now uh, passed away. Uh, my sister's just phenomenal people, and uh, Carol D. Was a wonder, is a wonderful uh, person. But there's one area where we disagree on. We agree about Jesus, we agree about serving Jesus, all the really important things. But politics is an area where we do not agree with each other. I believe we have probably canceled each other's vote uh, that is voted for the exact opposite of each other in every election since Gerald Ford versus Jimmy Carter in uh, 1976. But we've been able to stay close with each other in, in spite of our diametrically opposite views on politics. And, uh, and that has been such a blessing and such a benefit uh, to me. Her pointing out a blind spot of mine when I was younger just made a huge difference in my life. Uh, between the ages of 20 and 25, over like a five-year period, I dated a girl that I'd met in college off and on over five years. And I tell you, it was to the point where I just thought, you know, I'm 25, uh, I, I just need to marry her. I mean, it, it, it's a good enough relationship. It, it, it's good enough. And uh, Carol D. and I went on a road trip with each other. And uh, I was going to drop her off near Chicago to see our sister uh, Suzanne and her family. Uh, and then I was going to continue on to Milwaukee. And I was thinking about just asking this girl to marry me. I thought, you know what? It, it's good enough. Uh, it'll do. I, I think I'm, I'm just going to do it. And she was the one on that road trip that just encouraged me. She, she could spot my blind spots. And she just said, Glenn, slow down a little bit. Uh, you might be settling. Be patient. Wait for God to make it clear. And I did. I, I held off on it, doing something impulsive because of my sister pointing out a blind spot. And a month later, after this road trip, 
Kimberly and I uh, started dating. And I'm so glad that I had that family relationship that we had maintained. What if I disconnected because of our differences in, in politics? I would have missed out on that insight, which helped me at that particular time in, in my life. Uh, here's what Cain's life was like because there was no reconciliation between him and Abel. Verse 12, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, Cain had murdered his brother, not just disconnected from a family member, but actually murdered him. So the consequences were, were far greater. But you know, there's still something that we lose when we disconnect from a family member. Uh, I'm not saying we become a restless wanderer on the earth, but I do believe we, we lose some of our rootedness um, when we uh, leave a family member or disconnect from a family member. And, and sometimes you have to do that for uh, reasons of health and, and to protect yourself and, and emotionally. But, but whenever we disconnect in that way, it does make us more rootless and not as grounded as when we have those uh, family relationships intact. Uh, number two, second reason why there's division in family, at least from the book of, of Genesis, is favoritism by a mother. Uh, Genesis 21, verse 8, the child Isaac grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham, his name was Ishmael, she saw him mocking and she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son uh, Isaac. Uh, and this incident from history is where the conflict in the Middle East began that is still going on 4,000 years later. It, 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 it's still going on. And it all started right here, uh, 2000 BC, uh, 4,000 years ago, and the roots to that conflict in, in, uh, in the Middle East all started uh, back here. But God is still in the reconciliation business. He's still in the business of reconciling groups of people and individuals. Amir Atala uh, from our church family, he uh, sent me this uh, the other day. During the Islamic month of Ramadan, that's what we've just come through. April 1st to May 1st was uh, in Islam was Ramadan. There is something called a night of destiny. And it's a night when prayers are offered seeking a supernatural encounter. Uh, the miracle that occurs for many seekers during Ramadan on this night of destiny, for many of them, it's a vision of a man in a white robe who comes to them and tells them that he loves them and he died for them on the cross. Without knowing it, they have been searching for Jesus, yet God knew. These accounts of visions of Christ that bring Muslims to faith are repeated over and over within missionary groups that minister in Islamic nations. Uh, now, eventually, Isaac and Ishmael do reconcile. There is reconciliation. Uh, chapter 25, verse 8, that Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. 
his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him. Together, they buried their father. And let's pray that that same kind of reconciliation can happen through Christ in the Middle East as well. Uh, So because they had reconciled, Ishmael and Isaac, unlike Cain and Abel, they were blessed and they were able to comfort each other in their father's death. Uh, By the way, just another beautiful story of of reconciliation that I heard this past week. You probably heard of it as well. Uh, Aaron Judge is my favorite baseball player uh, because he's a committed Christian, committed follower of Jesus, and he was adopted by a couple of Christian school teachers in Linden, California. So because he was adopted, because he's uh, grew up in a Christian home here in California because he's a follower of Jesus. He's been my, uh, he's, the Yankees are not my favorite team, but he's been my uh, favorite player. And this past Tuesday, there was just a beautiful uh, incident that happened where Aaron Judge hit a home run in, in, in Toronto. So he hits a home run. Let's show that next picture right there. He hits a home run. And uh, this Blue Jays fan had been talking to this little boy Uh, sitting next to him, near him, that had been wearing an Aaron Judge shirt and talking about how he just loved Aaron Judge. And so when the home run came and the Toronto Blue Jay fan got the ball, he hands it to the little boy. The little boy falls into his arms, hugging him, and begins to cry. And because this went viral, this video, as a result of that, the next day the two of them uh, got to meet Aaron Judge and, and, to, and to hang out with him. Uh, number three, third reason for division in families is favoritism by a mother and father. Uh, chapter 25, verse 27. Now we're talking about Esau and Jacob, the sons of Isaac that was in the previous story. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Dr. Pamela Schwaltz says, parents are humans, and we often have children that we can relate to better, maybe have personality that's more like ours or interests that are more similar to ours. If children feel there is some favoritism going on in the family, it can potentially create uh, some real problems. Uh, Robert Whipple says, leaders who practice favoritism in the workplace, have no chance to build a culture of trust. Playing favorites is one of the most damaging problems in any group of people. But Leila Gifty Akita writes, there is no favoritism with God. He accepts people from all nations who fear him. And there eventually is reconciliation between Jacob and Esau. At, At one point, Esau wanted to kill his brother Jacob. But here's one of the great family reconciliation stories in all the Bible. Genesis 32, verse 3. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you're to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. He knows that Esau had at one time wanted to kill him. So he comes to him humbly and and, and, and tries to reconcile the relationship. He takes the first step. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau 
and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. Imagine you're gonna meet a family member who you've had a falling out with, who's angry with you, and they bring 400 soldiers with them to that meeting. What would your reaction be? Well, here's the reaction in verse seven. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed. Skipping down to verse 11. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid that he will come and attack me. I mean, it's very simple. But let me ask you a question. Are you praying for that family member that you're disconnected from? Are you remembering to pray for that family member that you're not as close to now as you were two years ago? So Jacob humbles himself. He takes the initiative to reach out to Esau. He prays, and here's the result. Chapter 33, verse 1. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Uh, Jacob knew there was a family member he was no longer close with. He humbles himself. He, he takes a step towards him of reconciliation. He prays, and here's the result. And then number four, fourth reason in, in the book of Genesis that there's division in families is jealousy of a sister. In Genesis 30, verse one, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing children, uh, Jacob, any children, she became jealous of her sister. Uh, now, I thought that there was no reconciliation uh, between uh, these two before Rachel's death in chapter 35 of Genesis. But you know, upon studying it more, uh, since I made this study outline, uh, I now believe that they did reconcile before Rachel died in chapter 5. They reconciled in chapter 31 because if you read that, they're very much unified um, in that family situation. So I, I, I went from saying there was no reconciliation until I believe these sisters did eventually reconcile. But you know, jealousy is such, such a, a, a terrible thing. Think of, I'm, I'm so passionate about this because think how much happier our lives would be without jealousy. If we could just enjoy who God has made us, if we could just be blessed by the assignment God has given us uh, and not comparing that to everybody around us, how much more joyful we would be. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4.4 that jealousy is the universal motive. It's, it's just, it's something we all struggle with. He says, and I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's why I love to talk about jealousy a lot because I just think it robs us of so, so much happiness. Please forgive me, 
I've told this story before. It's one of what Kimberly would call my pathetic old man stories as I think back to the glory days of running track uh, from now almost 50, 50 years ago. And, uh, and, and I know I've probably told this story before, but it had such an impact on me. Because when I was at Wheaton College, here, here's the guy that I was jealous of. Dan Henderson. This is who I was jealous of. And I think I've told you the story before how, how I, when I was a freshman and sophomore, I was the number three on the cross-country team, two upperclassmen. So when I got to my junior year, I was like, I'm going to be number one. I've waited for it for two years. Now I'm going to be number one. But there was this freshman from Atlanta, Georgia named Danny Henderson. And we didn't realize it at the time, but Danny Henderson went on to be the greatest small college runner in American history. I mean, literally. He still holds the 5,000 and 10,000 meter records for colleges at NCAA Division III. Almost 50 years later, almost half a century later, he still holds those records. Nobody's broken it in half a century. Uh, But we didn't know that at the time. I just thought he was some freshman. And I wasn't going to give up my position of number one. And so I would try to keep up with him in practices. But the problem was, if Dan Henderson was practicing, it would take me to be racing to keep up with him in a practice. So as a result, I was all burned out by Saturday races. My health completely broke. And my junior year was basically ruined because of my jealousy of Dan Henderson. So I got smart by my senior year and said, look, instead of being jealous of him, why don't I kind of learn from him? Why don't I be inspired by him? And that's what I did my senior year and had the the best season of my life. And you've heard me joke about this before. um, And it was really wonderful because Dan Henderson got injured. So I got to be number one after all. (laughs) That is not good for the story of what I'm trying to make here, which is jealousy is poison. Whereas being inspired, cooperating with each other, that will bring mutual blessing uh, to each other. And that's the end of the story because I checked recently, I actually checked this the other day just to kind of bring it up to to current times. And uh, uh, I still am on the record board for a couple of records close to half a century later at Wheaton College. Not anything that I did individually, but because I was on a relay team with, you guessed it, Dan Henderson. And if you were on a relay team with Dan Henderson, you have a record, I have a record, that is two of them that have stood for almost uh, 50 years. Well, what's the whole point of this story besides just trying to uh, brag about my track days and and the old days uh, so many years ago? here's, Here's the point of it. Lasting things happen when we affirm each other instead of being jealous of each other. When I was consumed by jealousy of him, I was destroyed. I, I, brought, I brought harm on myself. But when I was inspired by him and, and cooperated with him, and of course he became a very, very good friend, when I did that, we were together able to do something that lasted for many, many years. And the same thing is true 
when in the body of Christ, when we're not jealous of each other, but we work with each other and we cooperate with each other and say we're better together, we can do things together that will last for eternity. Lasting things happen when we affirm each other instead of being jealous of each other. And that's true at work, it's true at school, it's true in church, and it's true in our families as well. And then the fifth area of division comes from favoritism by a father. Genesis 37. Now Israel, his other name was Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word towards him. Now there's no reconciliation at the beginning. In Genesis 37, verse 23, it says, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Skipping down to verse 28, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Joseph had the worst family ever. Worst family ever. His brothers sold him into slavery. And yet God still used this family in Joseph's life. And God can do the same through your family. And there is reconciliation at the end. Skipping to the last chapter of Genesis. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And the family that you were born into or adopted into is a part of that plan. And if you disconnect with that family, if you leave that family, uh, all of it or a part of that family, you may miss out on part of that plan. Now, back to the beginning of the message. Remember, I asked you to think about the family member who I am not as close to as I was two years ago is. Romans 12, 18 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You're not responsible for them. You're not responsible for their actions or reactions. You're only responsible for you. But now here's, here's the challenge I'd like to make this Mother's Day 2022. What is one step I can take today to reconcile with that person that I'm not as close to as I was two, two years ago? Should I make a phone call? Should I do an email? 
Should I just begin praying for them more and, and, and see what the Lord leads me to do? What is that one step that you can take today to take a step towards them in humility, swallowing our pride, praying for them, and just see what God does. 12 years ago, our oldest son, John, um, went back to Colombia, South America, uh, to find his birth family and to reconnect with his birth family. And he was told that it would be just close to impossible to find them, like a needle in a haystack. But uh, here's what happened, and let's close with this. I am from Cali, Colombia, adopted from uh, the orphanage there. And I was placed in the orphanage when I was two years old, and I lived there for five, six years. And then during my time with the foster families, I was eventually adopted by Pastor Glenn and Kimberly Gunderson and have been living with them for the past 20 years. Back in 2009, I graduated from the uh, Bible school in Lima, Peru. And during my time at the Bible college, I, I felt the Lord was just putting on my heart to go back to Colombia and uh, minister to to the people of Cali. I graduated and my family came down. We, we talked and we just said, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to go back to Cali and um, look for my birth family. And my family and I, we've been talking about this for a long time. We've been praying about it and, and uh, we just felt so right. Like this was the, the time that God was uh, presenting for us. So after my family left to go back to the States, I made my trip for, for Cali. Get out of the bus. We uh, we came in contact with three pastors who we already had asked to meet us up there. We were searching Tuluwa, and uh, I kid you not, within 15 minutes of our search, we came to the right exact location where all my family was living. One of the pastor asked if he um, if he knew a Luz Lambana, and Luz is my mom, and. Uh, to my amazement, the guy said, you know what, Luz and all her family lives about four houses down and uh, they, they should all be there right now. And uh, at this point in time, I'm starting to tremble, I'm starting to just get um, excited, but at the same time, just I don't know what's going to happen. So um, we just allow the Spirit to lead and we, we keep driving down, we stop the car and uh, the pastor goes and introduces himself to the, to the lady that he, we had come across. And then uh, the pastor said, my name was uh, Juan Carlos Ceballos. And when the lady heard this name, she just started weeping. She introduces herself and says that I'm your, I'm your aunt. And at that point in time, I just started to, to just break down because I had found one of my birth family. And I, I started to uh, embrace her and just hug her and just take her into my arms and just say, um, tell her my story, what I've been doing and that um, I had come to, to find any of my birth family. My aunt told, my, told me that my mom lived right behind us. At this point, just all sorts of different family came from just all, all over the place. I had my, 
my, my cousins, my other aunts and uncles. I met quite a few of my brothers and I had one sister that I met. Maybe half an hour later, my, um, my mom was coming down the street and I just saw her coming down the street with a little kid in her, in her arm. I uh, was walking down the road and I was just thinking all these thoughts like, what is, what is, how is she gonna react? What is she gonna say? What, um, is she gonna accept me? I just, all these different things. But I just allowed the spirit to just calm me down. And I looked her in the eye and I said, my name is Juan Carlos Ceballos, my name at this given time. And she just took me in her arms and we embraced and we just started crying. And, and we uh, walked away from people that were behind us and we just started walking down back towards everybody else. And we just had a good time just for a couple hours just getting to know one another. And also I wanted to, to let my family all know that I was a Christian, that I was saved, and that I wanted them to know the good news. So the pastors were able to um, evangelize and witness to the, all the family members that I had met that day. My birth brother and some of my cousins and some of my aunts and uncles that had come to the Lord that day. My dad I met a week later because my brother had told, had called my dad and said that um, his son was looking for him. I just looked at him and I just like, I had compassion on him because uh, this man had gone through a lot. This man had, uh, had lost many of his children. This man is part of what brought me into this world and I just felt so, I felt so much love for him even though I never laid eyes on him or, or met him. But at that moment in time, I just felt compassion on him and just love for him. I told him my story. After about an hour and a half or so of talking with him, he, he came to know the Lord. So it was just a wonderful story how God just uh, allowed me to meet all my family and for allow, allowed for many of them to, to come to Christ.